This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Welcome back to Sportsbook. I'm Dan Roberts, and it's time to talk soccer. The MLS season is underway, MLS Major League Soccer. And we have tracked MLS pretty closely at Yahoo Finance over the last few years, not necessarily because of its size, because yes, it is uh, a distant fifth to the Big Four, sometimes just called the Big Three, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, but then you add in NHL, you get four MLS, not near any of those leagues in terms of revenues, but man, it is growing like crazy. It is growing the fastest. It is hockey sticking. In terms of fans in the U.S., in terms of tickets sold at some of these stadiums, uh, we've written a lot about how at the new ish, new-ish now, Atlanta Stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, where the Atlanta Falcons play. It's the MLS team that also fills the stadium. And so that has led many people to say, gosh, well, maybe in some of these markets, they could just expand uh, the stadiums that these teams are playing in, put them in a bigger stadium, and maybe they'd be able to fill the stadium. So that Atlanta team has been really an interesting business study, uh, business case study. And so we've talked a few times now to MLS Commissioner Don Garber, Uh, He's been commissioner of Major League Soccer for 20 years. Before that, he was with the NFL. Interesting guy. And, you know, I think a lot of people who may not watch MLS or pay attention to it should. And even if they don't want to watch, and, you know, I'm not necessarily a big soccer fan myself, business-wise, it has been a fascinating case. Uh, The expansion has been kind of crazy. Some say too fast. MLS now has 24 teams and more teams coming to cities like Austin, Miami and Nashville. So expanding very, very quickly. Uh, Surely there have been some questions about whether team owners want to rush into this league and the amount of time it takes for them to make a return. And that's true. But uh, I think MLS, the path it's on has been kind of fascinating to watch. Uh, We had Don Garber at one of our Yahoo Finance Live Summits maybe a year and a half ago. And now last week, I had the chance to sit down with him on stage again. We were at the IEG World Conference in Chicago. That was a sports sponsorship conference. I also spoke at that conference to some other sports business execs. We had the CMO of the Boston Red Sox, the eSports CMO of Activision Blizzard, uh, as well as some others. So look on Yahoo Finance for those videos. They're pretty easy to find. But we want to play for you the full audio of the Garber interview for this episode of Sportsbook. I would point you, before we play the interview, to three key things to listen to. Okay, the first is the expansion. Now, specifically, Garber said he doesn't think there's any U.S. city that wouldn't work for an MLS team. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, As I mentioned, Atlanta has been really fascinating. But some people think that Atlanta might be a... Uh, exclusive kind of individual case and not necessarily that the success in terms of fan interest could be duplicated so easily in other cities. Something about Atlanta, some people say. Well, Garber, and of course you could counter, well, he has to say this, he does not believe that. He believes that almost any city in the U.S. could be a home for a new MLS team. And man, at the rate at which the league is expanding, you almost think that they're going to follow that advice, that there's no city where there shouldn't be a team. So really interesting to be opening in markets that don't have all the major pro sports teams, markets like Austin and like Nashville, but of course also Miami, which certainly has it, uh, its fair share of pro sports teams and its fair share of competition for sports eyeballs. So that's a good segue. The second thing I want to flag here that I thought was really interesting is everything going on in Miami. Now, specifically this Miami team, uh, which is going to have a very Euro-style name, Inter-Miami. 
the ownership group there is being headed up by David Beckham. Garber had a lot to say about Beckham as a business person in terms of his level of interest. Sounds like he is deeply in the weeds involved, not just kind of the typical rich celebrity or rich athlete who is putting a little money in and then sitting back. Uh, Beckham is in these meetings. He's planning. He really has a vision for where he wants the Miami team to go in terms of its branding, you know, head to toe, everything about the team. And in fact, uh, during my panel with, with Don Garber, he was warning me that five minutes after the time we were going to end, he had to get on the call with Beckham directly. So he was like, I have a hard stop because I have a phone call with Beckham. But it's not just Beckham. The ownership group is kind of all big business people. Uh, Jorge Mas, as well as Marcelo Claré. Marcelo Claré, the former CEO of Sprint, who is now COO of SoftBank, and then also involved Masayoshi-san. That is the big name at SoftBank. SoftBank, of course, with its $100 billion vision fund, is invested in all the big, hottest U.S. tech unicorns like Uber and others, but has also been very controversial for SoftBank's ties to Saudi money. So I don't want to get us too off topic, but of course, these are things we talk about on our Yahoo Finance live shows every day. The increasing influence of SoftBank in U.S. tech and the increasing influence of Saudi money on U.S. tech. And that brings us back to that ownership group in Miami. going to be very interesting when that MLS team in Miami opens up. And then the third topic of interest that I pushed Garber on that I think you should pay attention to in this interview, if you'll listen, is about sports betting. Of course, that has got to be the biggest or second biggest, uh, maybe after cord cutting and the changing TV contract landscape, story for all the major U.S. sports leagues. That is sports betting. We know that last May, so almost one year ago now, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down PASPA. That was the federal ban on sports betting. Now, again, uh, I'm always careful to make this distinction because I think some people get it wrong. Sports betting is not now legal at the federal level. That is not the case. Instead, the restriction is gone, which means that individual states can move to legalize sports betting in their state only. Seven of them have, so add those to Nevada, which already had it. That's eight U.S. states that now have legal sports betting. So what does that mean for the big leagues? It has meant quickly partnering up with casinos. Each big league has announced its first big glitzy casino partnership. And each of the leagues went with MGM, except for the NFL, which went with Caesars. By the way, at this same conference, IEG World, I interviewed the chief sustainability person at Caesars, and she was trying to say that actually she thinks Caesars' sustainability efforts and their other kind of conscientious business efforts played a role in getting Caesars the NFL deal. So to bring it back to Garber, I asked him about betting, and you know he's all in. He's been very gung-ho. He makes a very good case, which was that, at least for his sport, his sport more than any other U.S. sport has always been tied to betting. I mean, we're talking about soccer here, or everywhere outside the U.S., football. And uh, he likes to tell the anecdote that when you go to uh, a soccer game, or I guess football in places like England, they pass around betting sheets mid-game. It, it's, it ain't no thing. There's no controversy. Uh, everyone everywhere else is a lot less squeamish than the U.S. is about it. And so, you know, with people like Adam Silver from the NBA and then Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball leading the charge, Garber was another commissioner who very early on came out and said, oh, sure, we support legalized sports betting. So MLS jumped on with a deal with MGM. That deal, by the way, was announced only two weeks ago. MLS was the last of those five big U.S. sports leagues to make a big casino partnership. But he also cautioned that since every state is going its own way, and even among those eight states that have legal sports betting, the laws are a little bit nuanced in each state. And because of that, it makes his job difficult. It isn't easy for the leagues to uh, kind of work in each individual state and cater to that state's betting laws. Uh, I mean, when, once you start getting into apps, it gets especially complicated. Okay, lay down a legal bet on this MLS game in New Jersey where it's legal. Fine. 
but then you, you get in your car and you drive home and now you're in New York. Well, it isn't legal in New York still, so then you can't make the bet on the app. Uh, it, it gets nuanced. So three interesting things to listen to. Uh, enjoyed this interview. And again, even if you think, oh, I'm not a soccer fan, uh, if you care about sports and money and especially the way that the big leagues are thinking about problems like cord cutting, problems like how to deal with legal sports betting, then I think you'll enjoy the interview. This is me and MLS Commissioner Don Garber at the IEG World Conference in Chicago last week. Take a listen. Um, Don, there's so much recent news about MLS to go over, but just this week, let's start with this, the Cincinnati uh, team debuted, and you guys have expanded very quickly. Uh, MLS expansion teams has been really fascinating to watch. We have this map up. Yeah, there we go. And uh, there's a video I saw. I think we'll, we'll show the tweet, but fans marching down the streets of the first Cincinnati home MLS game, uh, and it's just striking, uh, the, the sort of rate at which MLS is expanding. Talk to me about, about that growth and, and how you guys choose which new cities to expand to. Well, you know, this picture over here of the March of the Match is, uh, was shocking to me. There are, I don't know, 4,000, 5,000 people swarming the city to go to their first home game. And I think the story here is, you know, Cincinnati was not a soccer market. Uh, it was not on our radar screen when we were launching the league. It wasn't on uh, our initial expansion plan. And now you have a city that uh, has really, really em embraced our sport and their team there were 32,000 fans at the game on Sunday. And I think it just speaks to where soccer in North America is today. There's probably not a city anywhere in the U.S. or Canada that could not do what Cincinnati did. The sport's driven by millennials. It's driven by globalization and the fact that so many fans who've grown up with the game have an opportunity to consume it. We've got a unique offering in terms of how we're building small stadiums. We've got a very unique approach to how we're presenting our game to fans. Uh, so there's going to be a lot more growth ahead. We are a growth story. There's a lot of momentum behind the league. And uh, Sunday was a pretty good day for all of us. It was a happy day for, for me standing in the front of that group and uh, having a bunch of really happy fans. Wait, that's really interesting, though, that, that you don't necessarily think there is any city in the U.S. that wouldn't work for an MLS team. I say that today, but I wouldn't have said that five years ago, and certainly now when the, not when the league was founded, uh, that it's, it's driven by this concept of uh, we think of our league driving what we call a soccer nation. You know, this is a new America that's got uh, a very different approach to how uh, young people are consuming content. We're going to talk a bit about that. And uh, soccer is their sport of choice. They grew up with it, and that's not something 20 years ago we're able to say, as all those people who've participated for, I've been in this business a long time, and people would say, when's soccer in America going to make it? And at that point, there was not really a movement behind the sport. There wasn't infrastructure. There wasn't the brands. There wasn't the ownership. We didn't have the embraced uh, commitment from all of our partners. Uh, we didn't have the World Cup resonating. We didn't have the Premier League on every Saturday and Sunday morning. All of that's created this uh, momentum. So. You know, here are our teams. There'll be, as we've talked about, there'll be a new team coming in in Nashville and Miami next year. There's a, a team that just broke ground uh, in, uh, in Cincinnati with their first games uh, this year. We'll have another couple of teams that'll come on board. Uh, we'll be a pretty big league. We are the largest soccer league anywhere in the world today, and the league will continue to grow in the future. Uh, in addition to setting up new teams, expansion teams, you guys are opening up a lot of new stadiums. You just did a new stadium in Minnesota, uh, and I remember a year ago, or maybe it was already two years ago, when the 
Mercedes-Benz Stadium opened in, in Atlanta, uh, where the Falcons play and also where the MLS team there plays, the, the Atlanta United, that was such a big story because the MLS team was just filling the whole stadium. And I think it made a lot of people realize, well, wait a minute, maybe a lot of these teams, if they were playing in bigger stadiums, could fill a bigger stadium. So right. tell me about that, about the choices with these stadiums and, and then Minnesota specifically. You know, it starts with, and I, I tell this story a lot, that uh, the, the league's initial plan has changed to where we are today dramatically. And I think anytime you're running a business, MLS is only 24 years old. The NFL is going to be celebrating their 100th anniversary uh, next year. We'll have just our 25th. So we are young in the landscape of professional sports, the major leagues uh, here in North America. And the model has changed. When the original model was launched, Lamar Hunt, Phil Anschutz, and Robert Kraft came up with this idea to have a soccer league fill uh, counter-seasonal programming, fill big stadiums, college stadiums, NFL right. stadiums in, in, in the times when, in the the, gaps. when they weren't yeah. playing. And then very quickly, I was the commissioner for about you know, six months, and I said, this doesn't make much sense to me. I would go to a game in the Meadowlands, and I could sit anywhere I'd want to sit. Uh, there were very few people filling. You could have 10,000 fans in 70,000-seat stadium, and it was epically empty. So we came up with this model of building stadiums. 1998, Lamar Hunt built Columbus Crew Stadium. And Allianz, which was just uh, opened yesterday, uh, is our 20th. And we'll have five more new stadiums that'll come on board. So billions and billions and billions of dollars, $5 billion invested in soccer stadiums. This one is really, really special. Uh, it's, uh, it's in the midway between Minneapolis and St. Paul, so it connects those two cities. There's a unique wrap around that, uh, that stadium, 22,000 or so uh, seats in it, nearly $300 million soccer stadium in, in Minnesota. And those colors can change to any color they want. There's no end to during Pride Week. It could be rainbow colors. It can be green on St. Patty's Day. Their color is blue, so every night when you're driving down the interstate, that's what uh, fans are going to see. All their uh, the season tickets are sold out. The stadium is sold out. Uh, a good example of kind of what's going on in our league. This is uh, something I'm very proud of. It was a happy day for me yesterday. It looks cool. It looks like a soccer spaceship. Um, yeah. I'm trying Maybe to be... that's what they're going to call it, by the way. <laughs> right. I'm trying to be cognizant of, you know, the theme of this conference and why everyone is here. We're talking about partnerships and sponsorships and when it makes sense and how best to activate and, and excite fans when it's not just kind of, you know, not, not just having overt marketing. Um, so when we talk about that, you know, and we had Daniel Cherry just now from Activision Blizzard, and we were talking about what they do with Nielsen, with tracking numbers. You guys just did a huge uh, fan survey, as I understand, kind of the biggest holistic survey that you did. And, right. and tell me about that process and some of the learnings that you guys got from that in terms of what MLS fans want. Sure. I'm going to start with that, and then I'll get into, you know, the great partners that we have. Obviously, it's a sponsorship uh, uh, conference, but I think it's important to get an understanding that, you know, leagues just, and I think everybody knows this, it's not just about putting on games and it's not just about the celebrations like you had in Cincinnati on Sunday. We are a very, very data-driven uh, business. We're constantly going in to understand our fan base, segmenting our fan base, understanding what their needs and desires are, understanding what their challenges are, where we're not getting it right, so we're going into what we have. We have a, a fan panel of 20,000 fans that we could tap into every single day. We could have a new sponsor. We could talk about a sponsor program. We could speak to those people who have self-selected. Uh, but our fan segmentation study was really about as a, as a league that's continuing to evolve, competing not just here against the domestic leagues, but competing in a global market against the international football leagues, we wanted to really understand what did we need to do to grow our fan base. 
What did they care about? What did they like about our league? What challenges did they have? What did, what did they want to see? What did they want to see in the fan experience? And the march to the match came out of that Boston Consulting Group uh, project that we did. But it was also very much about understanding what our product on the field needs to be. You know, the other leagues, for the most part, are closed markets. Every NFL player, football player, is going to be playing in the National Football League. Yes, there are international players in hockey and basketball and certainly in baseball, but we are literally competing every single day against hundreds and hundreds of leagues and, and certainly uh, every other sports, uh, I mean, soccer league around the world. So we wanted to understand how do we go out and put the right product on the field? Where do we need to be with strikers? Where do we need to be with defenders? How do we compete better against Mexico? What ultimately does the fan want from us? And what they basically have said is they compare us referentially. How do we compare against Mexico? What would happen if an MLS team was in the World Club Championships that FIFA is going to launch and we're playing against Real Madrid? And what do we need to do within our system where we could afford it with a slow growth model that we've had for 24 years to be able to get better, to be more efficient in what we spend so we went out and hired a, you know, a great consulting firm. We still engage with them. We go into that research regularly. We've got 20 people that are working in our insights group that are not only thinking about what it means on the field, but working with our partners to be able to deliver them a direct connection with the consumer with programs that might make sense. Adidas with their creators uh, project, going out and trying to find ways that they could connect with a very hip millennial fan base that's thinking differently about product, et cetera, et cetera. I appreciate that you pronounce Adidas the right way. Adidas. That's right. Founded by Adi Dossler. Um, let's stick with that. In terms of sponsors, you know, let's talk about jersey patch space, because that has been an interesting sports business story, especially you know, in the NBA. The NBA started offering jersey patches. Now, of course, you guys always have jersey sponsors. But uh, the news just came out recently that, that soon enough, I think by 2020, you guys are going to add a second spot on jerseys that sponsors could buy. Talk to me about sort of that process. Is it as simple as, okay, we're open for business, it's for sale, who wants to come in? Or um, how effective do you think that you know, having these jersey patches is in the big leagues and where is it going to go from here? I mean, sure. the, the, skeptic is, the skeptic view is someday in our lifetime, the NFL is going to like sell out the end zone, literally, to a, a sponsor. But. Sure. Well, let me, if I can... Uh, looking at that sponsor slide that was, uh, was previous, uh, again, an important innovation project. Uh, back in 2002, when MLS was very young, I was the commissioner for a couple of years, we realized that our league was going to grow slowly, but soccer in North America was going to grow quickly. And we wanted to be able to capture the commercial opportunity, both in media, in merchandising, and sponsorship, to be able to offer to partners that might not be connected in major, with Major League Soccer an opportunity to grow the commercial value of soccer in America. At that time, uh, FIFA could not sell the English language World Cup rights for 2002 and 2006, so imagine that. They were running around and ABC, NBC, CBS, the major broadcasters, would not buy those rights. So we sat down and we went to our owners and said, you know, we'll buy them. And we'll form a company, that company, Soccer United Marketing, mm -hmm. And we ended up buying those rights. We packaged those rights with ESPN and, we, and ABC. We went, then went to U.S. Soccer that had a fledgling commercial business, said, why don't you come into this little project of ours? And then we went to CONCACAF, the FIFA region here. We went to the Mexican League, the Mexican Federation, and we created this company so that now we can go out and we can, in essence, connect with lots of people who are here in this room with 
delivering them consumers and trade programs that might make sense for them, even if it wasn't Major League Soccer. That company, Soccer United Marketing, like NBA Entertainment or NHL Enterprises, is in essence raising the commercial value of our sport, and we're engaging with all the activation programs that they can do. One of the things they do is put their names on our stadiums, like Allianz, or put their names on our kit fronts, so the jersey fronts. That's a billion-dollar business for us now, and about half of that comes from those companies that put their names on, spot, on jerseys versus on buildings. Like all leagues, and the NBA just did this, because we've been in the jersey front business since 1996, we're now removing the MLS logo, which we were new branding, we were trying to promote for the last four or five years, and allowing the shield, now allowing our partners to be able, our teams to be able to sell that that arm, if you will. The folks here from the Chicago Fire are out, just did a New Jersey front deal, and they're out trying to sell their uh, their sleeve, and that's about a million dollar sponsorship. Now our business is smaller than the NBA's. I just heard that that's a hundred million dollar business, or or more for them. We're You'll starting slow, but you know we're, get there. we're a slow bo- slow growth business, if you will. Do you expect when you open up that arm, the right sleeve, that in many cases just the existing sponsor on the front of the jersey will also take that spot, or that you might bring in new companies that have previously had no sponsorship involvement? Yeah, we're, not al- we're not allowing that. It's oh, got to be a different okay. company. So wow. the idea is to connect them. Again, companies are not just about driving revenue for leagues, about activation. So now you get a new company. Maybe today that company's smart small with the club, and then ultimately they might segue into being a larger partner for the team. But it's an opportunity to plant little angel dust around so that you're growing ultimately your connection with the corporate community locally. Really interesting. Uh, We're talking about partners. Let's keep it with partners. Just this week, uh, MLS and MGM partnering up. So MLS, the the fifth of kind of the big five leagues, if you will, uh, to name a betting partner, a gaming partner. So um, MGM is, is the official gaming partner of Major League Soccer. Now the NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL also went the same route. Uh, interestingly, NFL, for its first gaming partner, went with Caesars. Um, but, you know, just talk to me about the rise of sports betting in general. I mean, we had you at a, a Yahoo Summit a year and a half ago before the Supreme Court decision. That was we the were saying, crew Right, exactly. Like that, right? And it was sort of like, what's your attitude here? Well, we, we think a change to the law is coming, but no one knew. And then it happened last May. The Supreme Court struck down PASPA, so now we're seeing that individual states on a state-by-state basis can legalize sports betting in their state. What effect will that have on MLS? Well, I think you're going to hear this from all, from all league commissioners but to start, I think. It, it is about fan engagement and connecting with those that whether they're doing it through esports or now they'll be able to do it through sports betting, the ultimate goal here is to provide our fans with new data, new ways to connect to grow your fan base because that's ultimately the business that we're in. Now, if we're able to commercialize that as things continue to open up and modify as they go state by state, and each state's got a very different approach as to how they're going about allowing this, uh, then you can imagine we're going to be as aggressive as anybody. We have a, a team in a market that just opened up that has a brand new stadium and they're looking at a 5,000 square foot sports bar that will have betting within that facility and I think we'll be the first uh, major league to have something like that if we could finalize that. But it is still new. I do think that we've got to be very focused on managing integrity. I, for one, believe that it's our intellectual property, it's our games, it's our players, it's our stadiums. Frankly, I think leagues and our teams should be compensated for that. We're not there yet. 
I think the, the government is trying to figure out its right way to manage it and ensure that it's delivered effectively. But I think it's a growth opportunity for us. MGM has been very aggressive with the leagues. They're really smart. They're very data-focused. They're really thinking about how they could become uh, a deep connector for new generations of fans that ultimately will provide value for all of us, including from a fan avidity growth perspective. What's interesting for you guys when we talk about sports betting is that your sport has already, you know, in terms of outside the U.S., been a big sport for betting always. I mean, you made the, the point once to me that, you know, when you go to a, a game somewhere else, like in England, they, they bring around betting sheets, and it's totally standard and yeah. no big deal. And, and so some say that, you know, this was a long time coming, this change in the U.S. The attitudes toward betting have been changing. But, um, you know, for soccer, it's kind of old hat, right? You know, it is. In football around the world, it's amazing. You know, some guy in a suit comes in with a computer and you place your bet. It's part of the culture, particularly of English football and, and, met, and very much so throughout Asia. I think that's going to happen here. I don't know when it's going to happen. Obviously, it's, gonna, it's an evolving market pass, but just uh, was overturned, you know, within the last six months or la last year. So I think this is going to evolve. I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to see uh, legalized sports betting in venues. We're going to have to manage the in-game bets and try to figure out how to manage the integrity of that. But this is a growth market. Obviously, it generates revenue for states, and I think it's going to generate revenue for sports leagues and teams. And ultimately, it's going to provide new fans an opportunity to connect with their clubs and players. You alluded to esports. Uh, you guys are in the esports business as well. You have the EMLS Cup, which is people competing in the video game FIFA, which is really my one video game that I'm good at. So I'm very interested in that. Love FIFA. Um, but you guys have a deal with Twitch to stream the EMLS Cup. Talk to me about that. I mean, are we going to see the major five pro leagues uh, kind of inevitably embrace esports even more than they have? I think so. I mean, I think for anybody who's not thinking that this is uh, a movement in the future that's going to become massive, uh, I think they're missing the boat. I think Daniel's done a great job in the fact that Activision brought somebody in from the industry mm -hmm. to kind of run that business for them shows how serious Activision is about it. Uh, we're fortunate in that we're connected to the FIFA games. So the EMLS League, those winners go and they compete regionally and then they go to the FIFA eSports uh, final and it's managed... Uh, I think very, very effectively. It's a good revenue driver for us. It's obviously a, a great business, I mean, a great fan development opportunity. Uh, Twitch is, you know, they're the ones that deliver in the pipe that are connecting fans, having an interactive way of being able to not just distribute in a very streamlined way, but also have uh, effective communication. So we're very pleased to have uh, formed a, a relationship with them just coming out here this morning. I just read that Google is getting into the business and providing a platform. They announced that yesterday you know, for the major leagues and for sport generally, I think you're going to see more and more people participating and then watching those who do participate. Uh, the vast majority of our fans, when we research what created a co your first connection with the sport professionally, it was the FIFA game. Yeah. So it's just logical and obvious that we're going to get behind it in a big way. All the names that I know to this day of international soccer players, I still associate them with whatever team they were on. 10 years ago when I was playing FIFA, like Sisse of Liverpool. It's, yeah, that's how it is. Um, well, you're talking about Twitch and streaming. I have to ask about the streaming wars. You know, there's just, we were talking about that in, in the last panel, but how leagues are sort of slowly but surely, and some more slow than others, uh, giving certain rights to, say, a package of 10 games to digital-only platforms. So Amazon streaming 10 Thursday Night Football games. Now, you guys made a deal last season with Twitter that you extended for Twitter to live stream a certain number of MLS games 
Talk to me about that deal, and then you know, obviously we can talk about what the future might hold for the MLS linear TV deal, which is soon to be restructured. So you know, Twitter has been a great partner, uh, and it's a really unique partnership for us. Our games, we have games on, on nationally on, on Fox, on ESPN, and Univision. The Univision games, which are on the Univision network, that's got a very large audience. We've got 30% of our fans are Spanish speakers or engaging in Spanish language uh, sports uh, media. Uh, but we wanted to find, have an opportunity for those national games to be presented in English language. And we found that the SAP button is not, uh, I still can't figure it out. So people were not necessarily able to watch that Univision game in English if they wanted to do that. Uh, so we went to Twitter and those Univision games are actually broadcast in English on Twitter. And our audience continues to grow. It's actually exploding on Twitter. When we had that deal with Facebook, our Twitter audience is dramatically more than the games we were uh, streaming on Facebook, which is an interesting uh, development and dynamic. So we're going to continue to get very close to them. If you go on the Twitter page, you could see live games up on top of, uh, of your feed, which is something that we're very excited about. We've got a great relationship with YouTube, including uh, in a handful of our markets. Our Chicago team has a deal, a deal with ESPN+, Plus, so it's not on a typical sports regional. You want to watch a Chicago Fire game locally, you're going to go on, get the ESPN Plus package, and you're going to watch it on ESPN Plus. Same in uh, Los Angeles with uh, LAFC. So I think you're going to see more and more of these over-the-top broadcasters doing lo local deals, paying for that, and providing a great opportunity to fans get it in super high quality. As it relates to our new television deal, it's up in 2022, like many of the other leagues. We're uniquely suited in that all of our local games, all of our streaming games, all of our international rights, and all of our national rights are all concurrent. So we'll be able to go to a package, which we will, to be able to go to a broadcaster and potentially offer a global package of all of our games because we don't have the legacy of having local deals that are driving enormous value. Now, frankly, I'd love to have a lot more local revenue, and it might make that decision a little bit high, uh, harder for us, but we're very, I think, courageously going to put it all together and go to the market with one package. Having individual teams make their own deals for streaming, uh, you know, some teams YouTube TV, some teams ESPN+, does that make more sense than having the whole league just say we're going to be exclusive with one streaming partner, having it be fragmented in that way? Especially, it's very interesting to hear you say that live streaming games on Twitter has been better for viewership than previously live streaming games on Facebook because every platform has its own kind of pitch. I mean, ESPN Plus, you know, ESPN's spending big to get certain games right. exclusively on that platform, but you have to convince people to pay for it. Right. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, the fortunate part of it is our ESPN Plus deal is fantastic. Uh, and our, our ratings continue to grow there. If you speak to Jimmy Pitaro or his guys, uh, they love the fact that MLS has its out-of-mark package on ESPN+. Plus. It was one of the first deals that they did. Soccer is driving that because it's a very young audience. Uh, those are cable nevers. They're not necessarily even cable cutters. So all of our out-of-market games are on, on ESPN+. Plus. So we were not able to take all of it and aggregate it like the NHL was able to do through BAM and be able to have a separate streaming package. We are doing that locally, and the vast majority of our teams, all but a handful of them, are going out locally, doing separate streaming deals. Those companies are paying for the rights to do that. Flow Sports has a handful of them. And I think that's good because we're testing the waters. We're seeing, um, I'm very impressed with what Flow Sports is doing and watching them and getting them engaged and seeing how YouTube is 
getting engaged with our clubs and seeing ESPN Plus doing local deals in addition to the national offering that they have with us and Syria and others. So it's a changing, disruptive marketplace, but it's a positive one. It's good. To, it's a, I think being in the sports business with all this disruption is we're in the right place at the right time. All of this evolution, technological evolution and behavioral shifting, dynamic shifting, I think is going to be very positive for MLS and other leagues. Yeah, along with the proliferation of all these different cord cutter options. I'm glad you used the term cord never. That's right. There's cord cutters, cord cheaters, where you use your parents' password, and then there's cord nevers. That's right. I think uh, the industries we're talking about at this conference were really catering to a young demographic, and they are cord nevers. But with all these options that are now out there, I think it, it, we're seeing that it benefits maybe the creation of brand new sports leagues. So I've, I've covered a lot recently the AAF, Alliance of American Football. They are trying to create a new pro football league. I mean, they, they're out there. They're on TV. We'll see how long it lasts. XFL is coming in 2020. I imagine that these new young fledgling leagues are looking at, you know, if you can include MLS, the big five, you know, how you guys have grown quickly. Then in turn, are you still watching what the NFL does? You know, you come from the NFL originally. Are you at the point now with MLS where you guys are kind of blazing your own trail and, and what, what the other guys do is, is not necessarily so relevant to us? Or do you still look to the NFL and is that the model? Well, you know, I have a unique, you know, I've had a, a many, many years, almost 20 years at the, at the National Football League, but it was such a long time ago for me. I, I try to, you know, when, when we have a situation where we're dealing with something right now, uh, I will absolutely reach out to the other commissioners and saying, how are you thinking about this particular issue? It could be a labor issue. It could be a, a health and safety of player issue. It could be a, you know, unique commercial opportunity issue. Uh, but MLS is actually different. You know, we, uh, we are very young and, uh, and have the youngest fan base in all of, of sports. We don't have the traditional legacy challenges that I think many of the other leagues have to manage through the same level of government intervention, the same political challenges yep. in terms of how do they manage through as many of the other leagues have had to deal with. But I think that's going to change in time. You know, we have a very young fan base. Young fans engage with their sports uh, teams very differently than, than older fans do. And we allow them to come into our stadiums and bring signs and wave flags. And what are those flags are going to be? How do you monitor that? How do you monitor behavior? Uh, millennials, by nature, are very so socially connected. So if we have a problem in one market, the next thing you know, they're, that's deeply connected. And all of a sudden, that problem is, is communicated in, in a market on the other side of the country. We are in two countries, in the United States and Canada. We're dealing with a totally different economy, different market sizes, different currencies, and, and all sorts of other things. So I will say we don't look to the other leagues here as much as we do look to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. What is happening in Spain and what's happening at the global level? We'll probably talk about that. What's happening in England and, and how are we all connecting to try to have global soccer or global football be a force that could be reckoned with and can continue to drive innovation and continue to drive engagement and grow a fan base and develop great players who, by the way, need to be and are as deeply focused in being great members of their community. You mentioned looking at soccer globally. It's a great transition because I want to end on the World Cup. Okay, we've got the 2022 World Cup right around the corner, but then after that, 2026, we've got it coming to North America. A uh, lot of anticipation now, of course, in 2018, didn't go so well for the U.S. team. And US then there men. was... Right. Men, right. Yes, U.S. men's. And there was a lot of hand-wringing over the ratings as well because of that. When we look to 2026 with it coming to North America, um, how involved can MLS be? And then 
we have a chance to break a little news here, which is that within the last week you had dinner with the president of FIFA and with David Beckham. Tell me about that dinner and, and I imagine World Cup, a topic at that time. Well, you know, I'll start quickly on Miami. We, had, we just won a great vote yesterday uh, in to have a temporary facility and a training ground up in Fort Lauderdale. And Beck, David Beckham and our ownership group, which is a, a guy named Jorge Mas and Marcelo Claré, the CEO of SoftBank, and Mas Son, who's the founder of SoftBank, an incredible ownership group in Miami. And David is a very, very focused, engaged guy lobbying city council members over the last couple of days. So the, the dinner was about the FIFA council meeting was in Miami, getting David together with Gianni Infantino and Victor Montagliani, who runs CONCACAF, and just try to get everybody to see the power of what Major League Soccer is going to be down in South Florida. Uh, but we did talk about the World Cup and, and uh, how unusual it is for any business to have an eight-year runway to you have a definite moment of truth, a North Star that we know is going to be here, we know it'll be big, and it allows everybody in the soccer community here and abroad to be able to make plans every year leading up to what will be the biggest sporting event on the planet. And no business could look at their business quite like that. Technology yeah. changes, demographic shift, the economy changes, all that stuff when you're running a business and you've got to manage investment, you've got to manage consumers, it's impossible to know where you'll be eight years from now. But we know in 2026, the United States, Canada, and Mexico will host the World Cup. And we've got to figure out how we engage in that. We, we Soccer United Marketing in the league were the co-promoter of the Copa America Centenario Tournament, which was one of the largest events ever to take place uh, in the United States. That might come back, and Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing will want to be very engaged in that. And we've got to figure out with FIFA, with CONCACAF, with U.S. Soccer, what role could the largest commercial company in the world, as it relates to soccer, do to help drive all sorts of, of value for everybody that will be engaged from a fan development perspective, from a fan experience perspective, from a technology and innovation perspective. All that stuff is what we think about every single day. And that's not what everybody else thinks about. This is what we wake up every morning and are focused on. So we're very hopeful that we'll be right smack in the middle of it. And we're going to work really hard to see how we can do that. All right, 2026 World Cup could be very interesting. Plus the next one. All right, okay, give a hand for Don Garber, Commissioner of MLS. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Okay, that was Don Garber at IEG World. Interesting stuff. Appreciate you listening if you've stuck with us until now. And again, I'd specifically flag that soundbite. I don't think uh, any city wouldn't be right for an MLS team. We will keep tracking MLS. And certainly one part of all this that's been interesting to me is how whenever we focus in on MLS, and by the way, we named Major League Soccer our Sports Business of the Year for 2018, simply because of all its momentum and growth and financial gains. Uh, again, while acknowledging it's still very small, we all get that. Uh, but what's interesting to me is anytime we, we write about it, we also get a lot of comments, a lot of people saying, oh, it's all a joke. MLS is a joke. It's a, it's a scam. I think a lot of people have trouble understanding why some rich people have bought MLS teams when you know that, that isn't going to make a return for them for many years. Uh, but look, I think people see where the league's growth trajectory is pointed and that it is hockey sticking and that it's getting bigger and bigger. Look, no one thinks MLS is going to take on the NFL. But at this same conference, I interviewed the Activision Blizzard Esports League's CMO, and he called out a very interesting stat to me. It was just coincidence that I was also interviewing Don Garber at the same event. Uh, Daniel Cherry of Activision Blizzard, who used to be with the NHL team, um, the New Jersey Devils, he said the only sports league that has grown in the last year, gained, 
with the 18 to 25 year old group, MLS and us, Activision Blizzard Esports, that is um, Overwatch League, which Activision Blizzard runs. Really interesting. The other big leagues all seen their numbers sink somewhat by most metrics. So watch MLS. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next Thursday as always. Remember, please, to rate, review, and subscribe to the Sportsbook Podcast. You can do that on any platform. We appreciate it. And we'll see you back next Thursday. Goodbye. Goodbye.